It's Olympic Trials Week, and that means you need to play in the world-famous Let's Run.com prediction contest sponsored by Relay. The contest is simple. Just give us your top five in the men's race, women's race. We score it up, give some great prizes. We're giving away Relay shoes. If you don't know what Relay is, check it out, RelayGoods.com. It is the way to get premium running shoes at affordable prices. These shoes are 99% new. They're shoes like Overstock, shoes returned to the manufacturer for whatever reason. I got a pair shipped to me, Brooks Ghost. They're amazing. They look great. They just come at a great price. And hey, we're also having a Let's Run.com supporters club meetup in Orlando, but it's open to all of you guys. You think you can make it 7 p.m. at World of Beer on Friday. If you think you can make it, please email me. My email's in the show notes, wejo at letsrun.com. Just trying to get a general idea. And of course, you want to be a supporters club member when you show up. If you're a supporters club member, we've got podcasts this week with Connor Mance, Clayton Young, Emily Sisson, Betsy Sena, CJ Albertson, Alephine Tulemek. I'm sure I'm going to forget some. The only way to get these podcasts is to be a supporters club member. We're putting some of these videos up on YouTube. But if you want to visit a podcast, join today at letsrun.com slash subscribe. It's 2024. That means it's an Olympic year. Do you have Olympic fever, excitement? I sure hope so. It only comes around every four years. Well, in this case, three years. And we're only four days away before the first six or at least five U.S. Olympians are named for track and field in 2024. We're going to break down the trials in extremely great detail today. Also, looks like Japan's Honami Maeda is going to the Olympics after she broke the Japanese record on the weekend. Details about Jakob Ingerberg's injury have come out. How worried should we be, particularly since two of his biggest rivals opened up strongly last week? And if you missed our Friday 15 show, we'll talk a little bit about the BU meet where Nico Young has broken 13, but no one from the OAC has. Message borders are, are concerned. Is Dathan Risenheim the Nick Sirianni of track and field? All of that and more on today's show. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson and welcoming you to Track Talk, the world's best track and field podcast. Joined as always by my genetic equal but faster twin brother, Weldon, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Gold. Good morning, guys. Hey, guys. Happy to be there. Or happy to be here talking about the trials. Happy to see you guys in person this weekend in Orlando. A rare meeting of the entire Let's Run Brain Trust uh, on Saturday. Well, I'm Robert. Uh, commiserations to you, Baltimore Ravens. One of the greatest teams in NFL history, according to DVOA. Won't even be making it to the Super Bowl. You seem surprisingly chipper, considering the devastation that unfolded in Charm City on Sunday afternoon. So I'm glad you seem to be over it, or at least have put it behind you for now, so we can talk about track and field and the Olympic marathon trials. It's my way of coping, John. Every, every time they've lost this year, I couldn't turn on the radio for a day because I felt like we should have lost any games. We're, we, we're, we're the year and the goose of – we just we followed the year and the goose campaign. Everything was perfect about the damn season except for the biggest game of the season. Damn it. But like the goose, there's hope for 2024. In terms of coping, Robert, 
I don't recommend this, but some people use alcohol to cope. Will you be at the Let's Run meetup Friday at 7 p.m. in Orlando? I'll be getting into Orlando a little bit later than that. My beloved wife has given me a suspension. She doesn't like the way I treated John on the weekend. She 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 came into the office and John was on speakerphone and she heard me threatening to fire John or firing John. I can't remember. This is Wait. really crazy, guys. You'd never guess this, but Robert made a joke about firing me and then made a comment about my personal life. He never does that, right? So his wife was shocked to find... Apparently she doesn't listen to the podcast because this is a weekly occurrence. And she's a lawyer, very, very orderly, you know, legalist. And she's like, you're not really serious about that. I said, no, no, it's a joke. She's like, that's not a good joke. I love Jonathan. I'm just... John, she's upset you're not joining the family. She really wanted you to be partnered off with one of her cousins who are from the Boston area. I don't know why we never made that happen. She thinks that highly of you, John. So I apologize. I'll try to be professional for moving forward. Probably best then, John, that he's not at that meetup because it's a social function and he can make comments about your personal life. But 7 p.m. Orlando, I may have a place. I would announce it, but the guy is getting back to me today. So... Supporters Club members get free beer. Everyone else, just show up. Whatever. We'll figure something out, maybe. Join the Supporters we will, Club today. We will announce this like on the message board or on Twitter about where to meet up. I've gotten emails from listeners. There is going to be a Let's Run contingent in Orlando. They want to meet up, sink some beers the night before the race. I'm kind of sure. Well, Ro, when do you fly back from Orlando? Are you just coming in for like the race for 12 hours? Because I just want to say, the last time you tried to cut it close... 2018 NCAA cross country in Madison, you didn't end up making the race. So I, I want to confirm you'll be there Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Yes. Originally, I was going to fly in Saturday morning. My wife said, no, 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 we want you gone. Take the 6.30 p.m. flight. So now she's just texted me and said, I forgot I have jury duty. Can you take the 8 p.m. flight? So, But I'm supposed to be there Friday night. But guys, I'm going to start the show with some breaking news. There's a trade to be announced, a roster move. Robert Johnson, last week's show, we selected the U.S. Olympic marathon team. And I'm assuming this is like the NFL. If someone's not drafted, we can still draft them now. I can make a cut, jettison one of my team members, and take a free agent because that's what I'm doing right now. I'll allow it. After last week's show, we got a WhatsApp message from an industry insider, our boots on the ground in Kenya. And it says this, Galti, I can't believe I gave you golden inside info from my Kenya trip about the U.S. Olympic trials marathon likely winner and you didn't Olympian. This guy's an Olympian, two times world 10K qualifier, has the second fastest PB in the race, and he was fourth at last year's trials. He's been beating up 205, 204 guys in hard long training Totally dialed in. This person is talking, obviously, about Leonard Career, who was not picked somehow. He's now on my team. So put him on my team, John. Well, who are you subbing out? Just for the record, by the way, Leonard Career, third fastest PB in the, in the field. Galen Rupp and Connor Mance have both run faster. Looks like my final two picks were Tulemek and Seidel. I have no faith in either one of them. Wait, 
Can I wait till later in the day to cut? No, look, you're making a roster decision. You, you, you're the one who came up with this idea. You can't just say, "Oh, I'll skip. I'll take out whoever runs worse in Orlando." Make a call. No, do- you're talking to Tula like, later in, in the runs later in the day. No, 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 no. You don't get to wait until we hear from the coaches and everything. We already had this draft last week. Like, come on, man. Who you you want to add Leonard Curry? Tell me right now who you're taking out. Guess I gotta drop Tulamuk. That's your final answer. Seidel ran two twenty three last year. Tulamuk ran two twenty four. That's my final answer. Okay. I'll put it through the league office. Alphine Tulamuk has been released, replaced on Rojo's active roster by Leonard Correa. But then I'm going against my own policy of of having as many African runners as possible. Hating on all American board runners may regret it. All right. Well, th- this is this works out nicer anyway because Weldon and I both had nice balanced rosters with two men and two women, and you had three women and one man. So this is uh this is just neater for everyone. For everyone, anyone who missed our draft last week, it was a lot of fun. We. Went snake style. Everyone picked four athletes. We're going to score them afterwards. The teams were as follows. I had Betsy Siner, Scott Farball, Clayton Young, Sarah Hall. Weldon had Connor Mance, Zach Panning, Kira DeMardo, Fiona O'Keefe. Robert had Emily Sisson, Galen Rupp, Molly Seidel, and Alethine Tulliamuk, uh, now replaced by Leonard Correa. Weldon, I think we got an email about this. Someone I picked Betsy Siner, number one overall, and that was viewed as a controversial selection. Yes, we got a long email. It was actually mostly about the BU 5,000 meters from this guy, A. Milbury. This guy had trained in Kenya with John Haymans, the Belgian guy who ran a 1303 in BU. And we're like, on our Supporters Club podcast, we said, who the hell is that? At the end of this lengthy email, he just says, P.S. John choosing Betsy Saina over Sisson or Mance for your trials draft first pick was absolutely wild. John, I spoke to Betsy Sina from Kenya. I'm very bullish on her chances. She's training with Jocelyn Chepkoskai, the former world record holder in the half marathon, New York City Marathon champion. Actually, let me play a clip from Betsy. To be honest, it's in one of the best build-ups I've ever had because, you know, when you get, uh, when you get the privilege as an athlete, to be able to train through the program without having any injuries, it's always one of the best things, you know, like when you're doing like a three months of really intense training and then things are clicking really well. You want more clips? We got interviews with Betsy Saina, Connor Mance, Clayton Young, CJ Albertson are all up for Supporters Club only members. And coming by tomorrow, Emily Sisson, Alephine Tulamuk. Otherwise, you can listen on YouTube, but if you want them as a podcast, join today the Supporters Club. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. Use code SC25 to save 25%. You get a super soft t-shirt if you join for a year. You need to join the Supporters Club. We may have Emily Sisson later today. Who else are you talking to, John? Reigning trials champion and recent releasee from Robert's roster, Alphine Tullymuck, is scheduled to talk with us this afternoon as well. All right, John. So, well, I'm glad to hear that Betsy's in good shape. And I'll defend my pick here. 
I'm willing to make a trade here, John. I'm going to go. I'm going to shock this visitor even more. I will. Well, this would mess up the male-female balance, though. I will trade you Connor Mance for Betsy Sina. Oh, my God. See, it's interesting. When I made this pick, I was like, did I make a huge mistake in just not picking Connor Mance? Like, this guy has to be the favorite on the men's side. I could very easily see Emily Sisson beating Betsy Sina. I talked to Emily Sisson's coach, Ray Tracy. He's like, yeah, everything's gone well. You know, he's in, she's in good shape. And the reason I picked her was similar to why Robert wanted Leonard Correa. I got a text from Dave Ross, friend of Let's Run. He'll help out with our interviews sometimes at meets. And he's like, Betsy Sina's winning the trials. You know, he was sending me some of the stuff she'd been do- doing in Kenya and I was kind of sold. I was like, wow, she's, yeah, she's really good. She's like, she definitely could win the trials. But then I'm, I'm kind of forgetting that Emily Sisson's been brilliant the last couple of years and setting American records and beating everyone. And Connor Mance is ripping these incredible workouts. So, but here's the thing you just, you interviewed Connor Mance and Betsy Sina in the last week. And you think that, you would rather have Betsy on your roster. That to me tells you, t- tells me that I actually made the right pick. If the person who had the number two pick is trying to trade just straight up for who I picked number one. So I'm sticking by Betsy. I think those, I, I mean, those will probably be my picks to win each race, Betsy Signer and Connor Mance. But Mance is probably the safer pick, honestly. Like, who do you guys think is more likely to make the team, Mance or Signer? I think I'd say Mance. Well, I mean, maybe we should play some clips from Mance. The question for Mance is, he revealed on Let's Run, I hadn't seen this anywhere else, that he has he had a stress reaction in the femur, missed some time in, around Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, two weeks. He said the training's going great. He's been keeping runs private off Strava. Who knows? Maybe actually backing off for that guy might help him. But then we talked to his training partner, Clayton Young. I'm all in the Clayton Young camp now. Like I can relate to him. He gets his, his butt kicked in training and he's, I mean, he, he's doing, there's a workout now on the all access YouTube right now. He, he loses to Connor Mance by 15 seconds in one rep, three mile rep. He was 13 seconds behind Mance in the Chicago marathon. So I don't know. I can just relate to the guy, you know, I can't call it NCAA 10 K champion, a blue collar runner, but like, I don't know. I just was willing to make the trade, John. Robert, the objective third party in this, weigh in. What you, what's your take on this situation? If I'd had the first pick, I might have picked Manchester because I view him as rock solid. I'm trying to avoid like the wild card bad performance. But, and Mance has never been to the Olympics. Cena has. So if things get bad, who's, who's more likely to drop out? I think Cena's much more likely to drop out. But I think Cena's basically a lock for the team. There's no scenario under which Sana runs her best race that she doesn't make this team. This is a woman that ran 14.39 and 30.04 before they had super spikes, before they had super shoes. She was fifth in the Olympic 10,000. Her talent level, she's won at least, what, two international marathons, Paris and just in Sydney. I don't see why it's a controversial pick to pick her first. She was the fastest American of 2023 for the women. Like, there's no way she has her A game that's better than everybody else. I can see Ant's run, Mance running an A race and not making this team. He's not as talented as Leonard Career. He's not as talented as Galen Rupp 
Now, I think Galen Rupp is, to me, that what's happening. Why do you think he's as talented as Leonard Correa? How many NCAA cross country titles did Leonard Correa win? The zero. Connor Mance won two of those. Okay. How old was Mance when he won them? And who was who? What, what he's type probably of about the same age that Leonard Correa was when he was fourth in 2011. Leonard Correa, uh, let me look this up. Well, Robert, but Leonard Correa didn't come to the United States when he was 18 years old. Leonard Correa was born December 10th, 1986. So when he was fourth at NCAA Cross in 2011, he was less than a month from turning 25 years old. Connor Mance was 24, same age, in fact. They were both born in December. Connor Mance won two NCAA titles. Leonard Correa, same age, won zero in cross country. Leonard did win two on the track. Who was Correa competing against in cross country? Lobby Lang beat him his senior year. Exactly. Guy ran 13 flat in college. I think he was probably more stacked with the top talent back in the Connor day. Connor Mance beat Nico Young. Connor Mance beat a watered-down COVID field, right? Half the guys were at NCAA indoors. And then he got to win it again six months later. So you can't call it two. I maybe call it one and a half or one and a quarter titles. All right. I just, like, please well, present your I, evidence I, for Leonard Curry okay. being way more, being more talented than Connor Mance. Okay. Well, can the evidence be that he was born in Africa and is in his collagen descent? Does that count, or are we not allowed to talk no. genetics? No, I, I want like you can't just no, say no. anyone. Born, there are thousands of people born in Africa who don't have the running talent of Connor Mance. Well, Robert, that's a fallacious argument. Okay, uh, uh, well, then my argument's pretty simple. Well, Here's let me, let me get the stats here, John. I don't want to look like a fool before I throw the stat out. So I want to confirm. Yes. No, the, the stats are simple. He's run like 27-0 in the 10K pre-Super Shoes, which is faster than Mance. He's made an Olympic team and a world team on the track at the 10,000, which Connor Mance has never done. Those will be your arguments, not about where he was born or what tribe he's a member of. No, and also I was going to say, what did he debut in the marathon in? 207.56. So that was like 10 seconds faster than Mance. Thank you. Six. Sorry, like 20 seconds faster than Mance, but... I view them as pretty similar talent levels, Robert. I'll say that. And career is older and hasn't had the recent success, so... Right. And he's only run 27-20, actually, on the track, but that was in 2017, so it was pre-Super Shoes. But it, it raises an interesting point in, in the sense of, well, we just put up an article on the homepage. You, you talked to Scott Simmons, who coaches Winter Career, Paul Cholimo two-time Olympic 5,000 medalist who will be debuting in the trials. And in his mind, 208.10 is not a hard number to go get. He, he thinks it's kind of elementary. I mean, the quote here is basically he's talking about going for 208.210, going for 208.10, even in warm weather. That's the only strategy for any of the four guys we have to make the team. And we're not the only ones in that boat. There's only two ways to make this team. Run, on, run under 208.10 and finish top three or 211.30 and shoot for first or second. But I don't think the second strategy is a good strategy. And I don't see any reason why someone like Paul Chilomo can't debut at 207. Leonard debuted, debuted at 207. Zohar Talby just ran 206.39. Scott Simmons also coaches him. He's Moroccan. They're doing the same training. They're talented athletes. 208.10 isn't that high of a bar if you look at it from an international perspective. I agree with him. 208.10 should not be hard in this day and age. 
for men on super shoes. I mean, it'd be like 210 back in the day, but it is hard. Um, so I, I think it's great that, that he's talking big, that these guys appear to be in shape, that Chilim was doing well. I put in an, an Instagram request to try to talk to Career. I haven't heard back from him. So I haven't got to hear about Career other than the text we got from Boots on the Ground in Kenya. So, but what do we make of this strategy, John? I mean, you told me that, that Scott had told you this. And I just, I'm like, to me, that's, uh, well, we can talk about the weather. But let's pull up the later weather forecast. But I, if I was in this race, you know, it, it needs to be, well, in, in all races, I don't want to be the one pushing the pace. I don't want to be the one setting the pace. I mean, what have we learned from Kachoge? It's up to you sit in the pack and, and you leech on them. And, you know, I'm with the Rapids. When he tried to lead in Boston, he lost. And, you know, you, you follow the, the grand blank strategy at BU. Just let them do the work, and then when it's time to kick, you kick. And I just think that, yeah, if it's a big pack and everyone's running 64 flat for the first half, that's fine. But if you're, like, going in with the mindset of, oh, it's 65 degrees, it's sunny, and I still got to run 2810, I don't think that's smart because I think if you're Paul Tulema or Leonard Career, you'd be thinking, uh, I'm going to outkick these guys and get top two anyways. Now, the pace obviously has to be under 211.30 for someone like Paul Tulema, so that's fine. But – you know, I, I don't think I'd want to be the one pushing the pace throughout. Now, I think it probably will go out. Now, if it goes out, you know, 64, 20, and you want to keep it going, maybe that's a different thing and, and you like the pace, that's fine. But leading 26.2 miles, to me, that's just dumb. Yeah, and I don't think that's what he was saying, that we're definitely going to be the ones pushing. I mean, he he kind of thought, yeah, Mance might want to push the pace. He likes running from the – like, he's an aggressive racer. C.J. Albertson is – aggressive race and when he's run boston and that's partially because of the downhills that he thinks he's a good hill runner but there are other guys who could want to push the pace the tricky thing here is the weather because the forecast i've got right now saturday is supposed to be the warmest day of the week uh in orlando high of 75 degrees it will be probably in the 60s uh raising up maybe into the low 70s during the race it'll be sunny and the humidity will be in around 60% or something. That's not fun for running a marathon. You know, that that's going to slow the guys down, uh, especially Scott Simmons said a lot of this course, the, there are long stretches without any shade. That all makes it more difficult. It's not going to add up to the fabled wet bulb temperature that's going to cause them to move the race earlier, but it's going to be uncomfortable for racing. And if you're a guy who's never run a marathon before and you're going out there and you're just trying to run 208, 10 i mean that's that's not going to be easy i feel like if this was like a marathon project environment where we've got perfect conditions you know everything's going to be set to run fast you got pacemakers i would say makes perfect sense why someone like chalima would want to chase the 208 10 but this one i'm kind of with you robert like run to under 211 30 even if you finish third in 211 10 you've got a pretty good shot of making that team and that might be the safer play, but I don't know. I, th I think it'd be interesting. I just, it's also one thing to say this a week out from the race. It's another thing to actually get on the line and have your athletes commit to doing it when it's already sunny and they're already starting to sweat before the gun's even been fired. So it's going to be interesting to see if this actually comes to fruition once the gun is fired. It'll be interesting because 
two things. Well, first, we got a clip from C.J. Albertson here, who's, I don't know, dark horse contender for the team. He's a 210 guy. So the training hasn't gone perfectly. Here's what he says about 208.10. If they go out in 208 flat, uh, it's not going to be too fast. I mean, I think you're going to see at least a pack of at least 20 for at least 15 miles and probably more. But but just like very conservatively, at least that, I'd supply say 30, 30 or 40 through the half at least. I don't know, flat course, even if it's a little bit warm. I think a bunch of people might go out in 208, but, and it's not going to be hot till later. But I'll remember one thing from the 2000 Olympic marathon trials. I was running them. Back then, the standard you hit it was 214. And, well, we had one American actually get it. But the course was ridiculously hard in Pittsburgh, very hilly. And Todd Williams, who was ridiculously good back then, top 10 at world cross country when there was one race the day before the race he's like i guarantee it no matter what i'm on the pace i don't care it was really hot i don't care how hot and hilly it is i'll be on that pace we roll through halfway i look to my left and i'm like oh there's todd williams and there was guys ahead you know trying to run the pace and they they didn't hold up so you, you got to adapt to the to the conditions on the day but i i yeah I think 64 for the first half in today's era on a flat course when it's 60s at the start. I guess it depends on how sunny it is. I, I see that happening, actually. But maybe we should refresh people's minds about the qualifying. Because I was sort of operating, John, all along that America was going to get three spots, but I guess it's really not guaranteed at this point. And that's how a lot of these athletes are viewing it, including Connor Mance and Clayton Young. Right. The U.S., it's funny, like, I was having lunch with my parents over the weekend and my sister, and they were thinking about watching the Olympic marathon trials, and they're just like, so the top three are on the team, right? I'm like, well, maybe this year, you know, it is for the women's race, almost certainly. Yeah. In case you haven't listened to any of our podcasts, we have discussed this at length the last year. The situation is the U.S. has unlocked two spots thanks to Connor Mance and Clayton Young running under the Olympic standard of 208.10 in Chicago last fall. What that means is they can reallocate those spots to anyone who has run under 211.30 on a record-eligible course during the qualifying window, which is most of the contenders. Scott Farble has not done that, but you would think to finish in the top two or three in Orlando, you would have to run at least that fast. Obviously, Chalimo hasn't done that. It's his debut. Um, the third spot, the, top, the first 64 spots in the Olympic field are basically selected right now, January 30th, when the rankings close. The U.S. is not going to get a third spot because they don't have three people in the top 64. But the final 16 spots, the field is 80 athletes, the final 16 spots are awarded at the end of April based on the Road to Paris list. Right now, the U.S. is in good position. Scott Farble is 69th, so he would have to drop by 12 spots to fall out of there. But there is still the chance other athletes from countries who don't already have three people could run faster and bump him down. Some people could raise their world rankings and bump him down. There are some universality places. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So the most likely scenario is third place will be on the team as long as they run a 
and they'll just have to wait until the end of April for that spot to be confirmed. But it's not guaranteed. Look, this weather thing is interesting to me. It's gone up just in the last day. When I was talking to CJ Albertson yesterday, it looked like it was going to be like 58 at the start, mid-60s at the finish. Now it's going to be like low 60s at the start, 70 at the finish. That to me is getting up there. Like, particularly if it's sunny now, I've seen a little more cloud cover than before. But now the dew point is going to be good. It's going to be in the 40s, so it's not going to be humid. But to compare this to Pittsburgh is insane. For, I can't even imagine, like, first of all, Pittsburgh was hilly as hell. But you know what the, the high was on that day in Pittsburgh? It was 89 degrees. Like, nowadays, these runners would like what? throw a fit. Yes. And I feel like just. Just John Cog told me that it was 67 at the start, 83 or 84 in the middle of the race, or you know by the end of the race, and then it got okay. to 89. I feel better about myself. The way to school and back was in snow, and I went barefoot. Man, that makes me feel better because that was a terrible heat weather, and I don't remember complaining about the heat. What a ridiculous situation that the U.S. needs to have people run under 214 to get the standard, and they hold the trials on a hilly course in, like, the absolute worst conditions possible. Obviously, the ladder is not really... They can't control it, but that's a just a sounds-like-farcical situation. And then imagine... It was similar... A lot of things haven't changed. Like, the official... Originally, USATF said, we're going to send as many people as possible. So... There was at least two women with a standard, including Chris Fox's wife. And then like a week or two before the trials, Craig Mosbach of USTF, USATF said, no, actually the winner of the trials is going to go because we want the trials to mean something. You know, we got to placate the sponsors. And as a result, Chris Fox's wife is not an Olympian, or she would have been. So I, I think it's the right call. I mean, having the trials race means something, but putting it in a hilly rate, not thinking this out way ahead of time. I and mean, I guess a lot hasn't changed in 24 years. But I wish that they would let people chase. And the more I think about it, we had this debate a few months ago. I wish the U.S. system was the Japanese system. You pick the top three, and then if somebody else wants to go out and run super fast between now and the, Olymp you know, the Olympic selection, the final date that the Olympic entries are due, to bump the third placer off, you know, that's allowed. And that's what happened in Japan this week. Um, at the Osaka Women's Marathon, Ethiopia's work Nesha Edessa won in 2.18.51. By the way, she'll be in Boston in a few weeks racing the marathon. But the big story was Honami Maeda, who was only seventh at the trials. She broke the 19-year-old Japanese record. 218.59 and said afterwards, I did the absolute best I could today. For now, I can be happy. And I love it, like the for now. Like someone else can go out and run faster than her and knock her off. Now, the problem with the US is there's not really, you'd have to have the trials like in the winter. And then this, there's no really spring, there's no big spring marathons in the US where people can chase times. So I don't know how you would do it. The only big spring marathon in the US is, is Boston. It's downhill. It can be wind aided. Would you still? Would you just say a top three at Boston does it, or do you just hope for the rain gods? It's kind of luck of the day if you get the get the wind gods. I mean, I feel like you could say top three would do it. Like whoever, if there's an American in the top three, whoever the top American would be, because that would be kind of fun. You get all the Americans showing up to Boston, trying to you know it would make the Boston Marathon an Olympic year. Right now, it's kind of a forgotten race. 
uh, because it's so close to the trials. Whereas that one would ratchet up the intensity way more. So that could be fun. I'm not totally opposed to that idea, but I, I do like you know, what used to be a cut and dry top three across the line is on the team. The finality of it was appealing, but we don't quite have that this year, though. What time do you have to run under in Japan to bump somebody? It's a national record. Is that the time? Uh, to steal the third spot, it's not the national record, at least for the women. You had to run under 221.41 for the women or 205.50 for the men. And it has to be done at a major domestic marathon. Okay. Well, we knew if there was a Japanese record this week, Robert was going to talk about it. So you've given your shout out. Congrats to Honami Maeda. I thought it was pretty cool. Brett Lana tweeted out a photo saying like it, it was the national newspaper. It was a front page story. And I'm like, oh yeah. Do you guys remember the national front page stories about Emily Sissons 218 in Chicago in 2022 or Kira D'Amato running 219 in Houston? They didn't quite get front page attention. So the marathon's still quite popular in Japan. Speaking of D'Amato, I'm the one that said months, if not years ago, that no older person would make their first Olympic team. Ruling out old people like myself. I just didn't think the second half of 2023 was good for her. I haven't seen much races from her recently. I was kind of wondering what's going on, but I think it was on Facebook. It's dating me, right? I don't normally go on Facebook, but. Julia Webb, Alan Webb's wife, had a picture of D'Amato, and I think it was from her, I don't know, it just said, I'm ready. So I thought that was cool. Wait, Robert, you really are dating yourself because Kira posted that on Instagram, but you're getting the news from someone else's Facebook post sharing that Instagram post. Yeah, smiling because I'm ready. Kira D'Amato posted this on Instagram. So... Okay, that's it. Uh, one Instagram post and Robert is sold on Kira D'Amato. She can now make the team. If you didn't post an Instagram picture saying that you're ready in the this week, you might be in trouble. So Galen Rupp, does this thing his chances? No Instagram post, Robert? I just think the older you are, the bigger questions I have about health. So if you haven't been racing a lot, if you're not giving a lot of interviews, how am I supposed to judge it? I'm going to judge against you. Judge the, the Strava account, baby. She's got a public Strava. Got to do your investigative journalism. And her runs seem to be going pretty well, like workouts are going well. She she did run a marathon last, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it the fall. It was the World Championships, but didn't go quite how she wanted, but it, I wouldn't call it like... I mean, it wasn't as good. You would think she would have been better than 2022 when she had the last-minute call-up, and... She ended up 17th, 231. I mean, it was hot as hell in that race. So, But I do think this weather forecast, I mean, I, I, Sarah Hall, she's got to be despondent about it. It's too warm for her. All right, guys, we've done some discussion of the trials. I want to, let's preview the race, all right? Run through the athletes, give some of our thoughts. Who's there to win it? Who's there to make the team? Who's just there to make up the numbers? Contenders, pretenders, all that stuff. The way I'm looking at this is there are three categories, maybe four categories. You've got the happy-to-be-there dreamers. These people are just happy that they qualify. They have zero chance to actually make the team. Then you've got sort of the long shots who like would need close to a miracle but don't have a 0% chance of making them making the team. 
Then you've got the fringe contenders. These are guys who, if they run their absolute best race, it might be enough to make the team. But they would need to really have like a breakout performance. But they've kind of given you some hope. And then you've got the big dogs, the serious contenders, the ones that most likely the team is going to come from that group. I want to talk about the last two categories, the fringe contenders and the big dogs. Let's start with the big dogs. These are the guys who... The Olympic team's probably going to come from this group. They're the most credentialed. They're the fastest by personal best. Here's who I had. I had seven men in this group. Sam Chalanga, who ran 208.50 in Chicago last fall. Scott Farble, 208.52 PB. He's been the top American in Boston, New York and Boston the last couple of years. Leonard Correa, fourth at the last trials, 207.56 PB. is number six US all-time. Connor Mance, 207.47 in Chicago last year. Fastest American marathoner of 2023. Number four all-time. Zach Panning, 209.28 at Chicago in 2022. is 13th at the 2023 Worlds. Galen Rupp, four-time Olympian, two-time defending trials champion, Olympic bronze medalist in 2016. And then Clayton Young, 208 flat in Chicago, lost full. That's seven. Do you guys agree with that? So anyone be booted out of the big dogs or do we need to add anyone in? Well, yes. I'm adding Paul Chalamo in there. Now that we know that he's serious, now that we know he's training for the marathon, I've seen him run well in the heat before. He's tough as nails. The talent level, the top side. I mean, I don't know if he's made for the marathon, but... Yeah, Robert, I, I think that's a fair... That's a fair argument. I have one, My debate was, does Sam Chalanga belong in the top contenders category? Because... His marathons until last year were absolutely awful. He'd run four marathons. He'd never broken 215. But then in Chicago, he ran 208.50 and was two seconds behind Galen Rupp. So, I mean, that's pretty darn good. And you also get extra points because it was the closest race to the trials. It shows he's been in shape recently. Now, he didn't run well at the Houston half at all. Said he was sick there. But... I could see booting out Chalanga. I could also see adding in Chalima because, yeah, again, two-time Olympic medalist and training reportedly has gone well. He's been in E10 for this build-up. I don't think it's out of line to add him in to the big dogs because it wouldn't be a shock if he made the team to me. Weldon, are you happy with the group we have here? Does anyone stand out to you? I think it's a good way of looking at it, John. I think there's one major name missing from your fringe contenders. Well, I don't know. But we haven't gotten there yet. But if we're talking about potential, I don't see Shadrach Kipchurch here on your fringe contenders. The guy's a nearly a 27-flat 10,000-meter runner. I'm aware of that. I did consider including him. Well, tell me the last significant runs Shadrach Kipchurch here had. Uh, he ran two mediocre marathons last year. I'm not sure what they were. I was looking it up. I think his like debut at the New York City half a couple years ago was all right. So he, yeah, the twenty the New York City half marathon in March of twenty twenty two, he ran sixty one sixteen. He also won the US cross country championships that year. He was fourth at the US twenty K in the fall. But and he was fifth in USA's on the track. So not a bad first half of twenty twenty two. The reason I just didn't include him is 
he was 24th in his debut in New York in 2022. Um, and then he ran two more marathons last year. 38th in Rotterdam in 219.29. And then 213.02 in Amsterdam in 17th place. Now, I guess the ar- argument for him would be, look at what Sam Schlange did. He ran three bad marathon, four bad marathons, and then finally had a breakthrough. You, you could make that case for Ch- Kip Chirchir, but I was just like, at this point, like three in a row, I, I just kind of wrote him off. So maybe you could add him to the fringe group. I Okay, let's just talk about the contenders a bit, sort of discuss these guys. I think Fable. Career, Mance, Rupp, and Young. Their accomplishments are all known. I think we all take for granted that Zach Panning is in there. And a lot of people, I don't think a lot of outsiders wouldn't put him in there. I go, he's a 209 marathoner. That was in 2022. Last year at Worlds, 13th place, 211. I mean, it was ridiculously hot. And the guys had a lot of upward trajectory. So I think that's why he's on there. Yeah, I think the case is. He ran 209.28 in Chicago in 2022. I think he's fitter than than he was when he did that. He was telling Kyle Mowbray at this great, you know, 16 mile workout, 447 pace. You know, it wasn't maybe it wasn't exactly marathon pace, but it was a great workout. And you know, we can't say we overrate workouts, but when you add it in to what he's done the last two years, 211.21 in Budapest, it's going to be much. It was much harder in for that race than it will be for the trials. If you take like a minute off of that, so say it was worth a minute or 90 seconds, it's like 209 high, 210 low. If he does that in the heat of Orlando, could that put him on the team? Yes. So that's why people are treating him as a contender. I still think he was way overpicked in the draft last week. Yeah. Weldon Weldon took him fifth overall. That's curious. So he got off, he was off the board before Fable, before Young. I would agree with that. I think both of them have a better chance to make the team than Panning. But I do think he is. I think he belongs in this big dogs group, and he's got a legitimate chance to make the team. I took like him the before, y- before Young. Well, yes, I was looking at my picks. Uh, on paper, your teams are much better. And, I mean, now Elephant Tulemic's on there. I may pick her up, but we'll, we'll debate there. Um, so, as we said, talks with Connor Mance. And Clayton Young are available for supporters club members join today. The other thing I found interesting is Sam Chalenga has been doing some of the training with him. And John, you also have a, a interview up now on the homepage about the debutants, but also which is includes Chalimo. But in the process of that, you talked to Chalenga's coach quasi-coach Scott Simmons. And then I'm like, wait, I thought he was training with Manson Young. So what's the deal there, John? Yeah, the situation is that Chalanga is part of that American distance project, WCAP group based in Colorado Springs, or was until about January. And then for the trials buildup, Korea, Kipchirchir, and Chalimo all went to Kenya, different parts of Kenya. I think they're training with different groups. But they all went to Kenya for their build-up. Chilanga did not. He stayed in the U.S. with his wife and his kids. And 
didn't want to do his build up alone. But most of his training partners, the guy, the marathoners, had all left for Kenya. So he thought, okay, what if I train with Clayton Young and Connor Mance? They're not that far away. They're based in, you know, obviously he'd have to move to Provo for a little bit. And he asked to join the group. And Ed Eyestone, I talked to him about this. And he's basically like, look, I was fine with it, but I told my guys, Young and Mance, you know, you guys have to be okay with this. This is a serious contender to make the team. Are you got, You're going to be competing against him for a spot on the team. Are you guys okay adding him to the group for this build-up? And they said they were. So essentially, Eyestone said, look, I'm not going to be like, basically, I'm going to be, these are the workouts Connor and Clayton are going to be doing. You're welcome to join them. You know, I'm not going to be drawing up a separate training plan for them. And by and large, Chalanga was just happy to have someone to train with. So he was with them for most of these workouts. Not everything. They went to Orlando for about a week. He didn't go on that trip. The week of the Houston Half Marathon, he was doing something different because he was running that race and they weren't. But he has done a lot of that training together for this buildup. And it's been a lot of Eyestone workouts, not Simmons workouts for this build. Uh, I'm trying to come up with an analogy for an equivalent to other sports. And I don't think there is one. This is so unique to running that somebody would do this. Like, we're going to take in the rival, help you train. I mean, at some point, if you're a full-fledged member of the group, you're not a rival. You're sort of like, yeah, it's an individual sport. I want to beat you, but you're part of my team. But instead, it's like, hey, we're going to bring you in here. We hope you do well, but don't beat us. I mean, it's sort of crazy. It's a cool story. I wouldn't do it, I don't think. All right, we need to talk about Rupp. Uh, it's kind of crazy. We haven't discussed him that much. If he makes the Olympics, this will be his fifth Olympic team among U.S. men runners. Only Abdi Abdurrahman has done that before. And Rob was such a... He was just a given on these teams. Since he made his first team in 2008, he was still in college back then in Oregon, but I think everyone expected him to make that one on the track. Made it again in the track and medaled in 2012 made in the track and the marathon in 2016, and then won the trials marathon, lost time out in Atlanta after the iconic photo of him just sitting on the start line as everyone else is fretting around him. But this is, he's not a given this time around. You know, he ran against Rupp, sorry, he ran against Mance and Young in Chicago last fall. Both of them beat him convincingly. Chalanga was only two seconds behind. He's had injury issues. You know, this this back injury is bothering him for a while. He does appear to be over the injury issues. The question is, but I don't think he's ever going to be the his prime has passed in the marathon. I I, I feel fairly confident in that. Now, maybe this guy's thirty seven years old. He's had his share of injuries the last few years. He had a very long prime between the track and the marathon, but I do think he's on the, the backside of his career at this point. And the question is, can he still summon enough to make this team and or possibly win the trials? I think that's well within the realm of possibility. This guy's a gamer. He's not going to be phased by the moment. He often responds his best when the stakes are highest. So I think that's a huge advantage because how many of the other guys in this field have made marathon teams? Among the big dogs we've listed, none of them. Rupp's the only one to have done it. So... I do think that counts for something. He's a good heat runner. 
he, I don't think he's going to be prime Rupp, but he might not have to be to make this team. I don't think I'm going to pick against him. I think I'm still, I still have to put this guy in his, in the top three. He's one of the greatest runs America's ever produced. I picked him on my team. And then I got nervous about it. I feel like he, if he was just training to be the 37-year-old version of Galen Rupp, he would easily make the team. But just the way he's wired, he probably has a hard time like dialing it back and accepting that he's not what he used to be. Because he was talking so big before Chicago. A little disappointing. Runs Houston, a little disappointing. But I think when I make it, by the way, we have a prediction contest. Should be up on the website shortly, right, Weldon? Make sure you enter today. Get your friends to enter. Makes it more fun. But particularly with the weather forecast being a little bit warmer, I think I'm going to still pick him. When I make my official picks, there I can pick any three. You know, we had the draft last week. I had to pick only people available because I know he's good in the heat. Most of these other guys, I have no idea if they're good in the heat. And to me, running in the heat, for some runners, I've always said this, for some runners, running in the heat and running in regular weather are, are two different sports. And for some people, it's not a big deal. Yeah, Rupp is not going to have any issues in the heat. He thrived in the 2016 Olympic trials on the track when everyone else was melting in Eugene. He won the trials in Los Angeles in 2016, had no issues with it. He medaled in, to- in uh, Rio. Okay, it wasn't crazy hot, but it was quite humid. It wasn't easy. Historically, this guy has had no problem running well in warm weather. But- so I don't think he's going to be faced by the heat. He's one of the guys, he's on record saying, he was fine and actually wanted the race to be at the noon start. So I don't think that's going to be a problem for him in Orlando. You said it wasn't crazy hot in Rio, but my understanding, according to Wikipedia, it was 75 degrees at the start. That's what it says. Is that a lie? And that's hot. Was it that hot? I thought it was, I don't remember it being that hot. You know, Wikipedia, back in the day, you couldn't cite it in college. Now it's debatable. It was. I just remember it was like rainy and overcast and the humidity. I thought it was more in the high 60s, but maybe it was 75. It wasn't like super sunny from what I recall. Um, but yeah. I, no, it was warm because remember I got on them for cheating. He was getting the special ice visors nobody else got. Right, right. So well, not only which, was he wearing the shoes that hardly anyone else had except for a couple of guys from Nike, he was getting illegal not illegal, but it was legal. Ice, for those you don't remember, if you're 20 years old and don't remember 2016, at the Olympics, Salazar looked up the rules and got permission to hand out Rupp a frozen cap at every water station. Everybody else was dying in the heat, and this guy's got like air conditioning on his helmet, on his head. I mean, one man's... View one man would call that cheating. One man would say that was good preparation. So I don't know that, but yeah, I don't remember anyone else in the field having that. Okay, let let's also talk about Scott Farble because we we don't have an interview with him on the site. He politely said he's not going to be doing media this week until the press conference on Friday. Then he'd be happy to talk to us then. 
Robert, your long-standing pick, maybe since the last trials, I don't know when you got in this corner, but you've been on it for years, is that Scott Farble will not make this Olympic team. You've been very clear on this. I'm not really sure why. He's one of America's best marathoners. He consistently finishes as the top American in Boston and New York. Do you still feel he's not going to make this team? And why? what's the case against him? The case against him? It's simple. It's, it's the same case it's for Zach Panning. His ceiling is not that high. He's a good domestic U.S. guy. Top American, so what? A lot of the Kenyans and Ethiopians drop out when they can't get top five in Boston. Well, this is, as far as I know, there are no Kenyans and Ethiopians in this race on Saturday. Zach Panning works his way up, runs a smart race, and is 13th at Worlds. And the man, that was super damn hot. Good for him, but. A lot of the top guys don't give a hell and hell. They don't care if they're not you know, meddling. So I think he's a B, B-plus guy. And he often runs you know, his A race. But his top end is, God, I mean, he's run, let's count these up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 marathons. He's never run faster than 2852, and that was on a downhill course. He, he's 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 Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. And what happens when those guys face Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow? They lose. Okay, but how how many of the how many Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes is, do we have in this trials race? Like I will, I'll say this. You would say like the Boston field 2023 was pretty good. Scott Farble was the top American. He beat Connor Mance in that race because Mance did not have his best day. And Farble did what he always does. He ran him down. He ran a smart race and he got pretty much the most out of himself. I think like, am I sure Leonard Courier and Leonard Courier has won, run one great marathon. Robert, all right? 207.56 in his debut. What since then? Like, 20, 2022 in New York, he got smoked by Scott Farble. Here in 209.31 in Paris last year, I'm quite confident Scott Farble could have run faster than that. I'm not convinced that Lena Curry is just, oh, wow. If he's on his game, his best def- his best marathon is definitely better than Farble. I'm not convinced of that. Like, who do you think is, like, on their A game is better than Fable. I would say maybe Mance, though they lost Mance lost head to head last year. Maybe Rupp, but at this stage of his career, like who who are the guys who are clearly better than Scott Fable, more talented? Certainly Mance. Who's better than Fable? Certainly Mance. I mean, Fable was good in college, he was 12th, but Mance is the NCAA champion. Uh Rupp is getting older, but I still think Rupp's A game is better than Fable's A game. And then um, oh, oh, I, I, I would say Leonard career for sure. And, uh, you know, when I get a, when I get a, I'm not getting a text from somebody saying that Scott Fobble's taken down two or four guys in practice like I am with Leonard career. And I, now admittedly, I, I don't have like three guys that jump out as way bigger talents. I, I would say Chalemo, but I, I don't know how, I mean, there's a lot of wild cards with Chalemo. Could Fobble make the team? Yes, he could. 
Of course he could yeah, make I, the team. A good way of putting this, John, maybe this is what the serious contenders are, is like, who could actually win this race? I mean, as John said, like, it, it's... I mean, there's a reason we only have two guys under 208.10. In the big scheme of things, these guys aren't that good of marathoners. Let's not fool ourselves, right? So, Connor Mance has put up the time. I mean, Clayton Young's getting drilled by him every day in practice. I get I can see what he could win. He's run faster than everybody else. Zach Panning's on the upswing, so we like that. Career's got the engine. Fobble's Mr. Consistent. But it's there's holes with all of these people. It's not like there's like five superstars in this race. Good point. Uh, it's interesting. Who could win it? Who can make the team? Uh, that's an interesting way. I, I only think there's about, if you're asking me who wins this race, I put, who that's tough. Mance, Rupp, Career, Jolimo. And then to be honest, I'm just going with, I'd probably, if you're asking me for other people to pick, I'm going with like random African dudes, like African born guys, like to show me McKinnon, McConan, which is crazy. The, the men's field is kind of shallow, to be honest. It's not shallow. It's just the top. Like it's. All right. Let's move to the fringe, what John calls the fringe contenders. We got CJ Albertson. Podcast out with him now for Supporters Club members. Mr. Consistent, 50K world record holder. To Shoman Mekinen. Back in the day, this dude, Richard from Ethiopia, ran 60.02 and a half. He's only run 210 in the marathon, but he did that this past fall. Okana Kabet. Turned 210 in Prague, fourth in New York in 21, but that's, you know, watered field. Matt McDonald. Princeton alum. He was up there the last trials. He was the Atlanta Track Club guy at the time now. Is he Hanson's now? He's BAA now. Ran 210 in Boston in April, beat Connor Manson that race. Nico Montanez. You know, he's won like, I think he's won a US 15K championship. Is that correct? Yeah. Can I say one thing about all these people that supposedly beat Connor Mance in Boston? I know that Fobble beat him. I know that Matt McDonald beat him. But Connor Mance's race was so much more impressive than theirs. He was running with the leaders and stuff like that. And then he faded and got beat. So in the trials, if he runs with the pack, runs with these guys, he will beat them. Well, that's the interesting thing about the trials, right? Because you don't have those really elite world-class guys at the top. So you're not going to have someone like Mance who is going to be trying to run with them or Albertson who's trying to run with them. And you don't have, like, Farble. What does he always do in these majors? He sees the pack break away because they're going a little too fast. He hangs back because he knows he can't quite hang at that pace. And then he runs people down because he gets the most out of himself. This race, you would imagine... Fobble's going to have to do things differently. He's probably going to be up the front the whole time. Maybe he hangs back and tries to run people down. But there, I mean, the reason I like him is he's because he's consistent and because he usually capitalizes on other mistakes. He 
doesn't really blow up that often. He had some fueling issues in Berlin that stopped him. But anyway, the other fringe contenders, Joel Reichel, 210 in Chicago, lost four. B.S. and Barca just ran 60-45 in Houston, was the top American in that race. Jacob Thompson, former Let's Run podcast guest, reigning U.S. half marathon champion. Then Futsum Zainal Selassie, who has improved quite nicely. He won his debut at CIM in 2011 in 2021, then ran a 209-4 DPB in Rotterdam, last spring, and then last fall was 212.09, top American in New York in 10th place. So anyone I'm missing from that group, or is there anyone who stands out to you from the names I just read off? Yes. Shadrach Kipchurcher missing, as we discussed. Joe R- R- Rykow? I had to go look him up. Sorry, no offense. He was 20th. I didn't see it cross, so, but, and he has run 210. And the way this field is, if you're a Joe Rakow, seize the effing day, dude. Get yourself on the team because this is your chance to be an Olympian. So prove me wrong, buddy. I mean, the name that stands out to me here is CJ Albertson because I, I feel like he's the closest to being in that next group. He, this is a guy who has split 209 on a treadmill marathon en route to a longer distance. 211s, he has no problem running that. The you know He ran three 211 marathons in the span of five weeks this past fall. The problem is for him, he... I feel like he's on the verge of having a big breakthrough. Like He's run well in Boston before. He was 12th in 210.33 this past spring. He was 13th in 2022 in 210.23. And he was 10th in 2021 in 211.44. But I wonder if he's... Robert makes this com- like point. Is this guy not quite talented? Or is he, about other athletes. He said about Farble, about some of the other guys I listed. That's my concern. It's like, is this guy just not quite talented enough? I think he does have another level to get to in the marathon. But from what he's shown... He's a 210 guy who's like almost there, but not quite. And that's what I'm waiting to see. Does this, do we get this race from him in Orlando and he makes it to that next level? The problem with him is he's always running 211. Doesn't matter whether it's hot, it's cold, hilly, whatever. 211. I love the guy's story. Wins CIM and then goes to Mexico again just because he wants to make sure he has the 211 standard. Some guy nicknamed him El Diablo in the middle of the race on the Mexican broadcast. Guy's tough as nails. Put heat lamps all over his apartment and just been training like a madman. But when I talked to him, I was stunned. Like, you never hear this. He's like, well, training hasn't been exactly what I would have liked. Now, he's only got to train for like five weeks because he was just running two marathons beginning of December. That kind of surprised me because he needs to be better than he's ever been before. He's tough as nails. He will run people down. And it was interesting way he described it. He said, well, I think if, if they got in 64 flat, I think there'd be a pack of like 20 guys with that. But he's aware of what he needs to hang off of. Very smart runner. I just don't think it's going to be enough. But, yeah. you know, when we're talking about like guys that are 12th and 20th at NCAs, this guy wasn't even making NCAA cross. He did make footlockers in high school. Actually led the race. I forgot about that. 2011. But ended up 36th. So again, it's he's like a B. He's probably like a well, in the grand scheme of things, he's you know, they're all A talents, but he's like a B minus talent for this type of race, but who always runs in A race. 
And does he though? I mean, I feel like this. I feel like if you're just ripping off two elevens every week, there's got to be a. Two, he's never broken two ten in a legit marathon. Like there's got to be a two ten or two oh eight locking in there. I feel like. Or do you think, like, Yuki Kawuchi could run two eleven week after week after week, but he's also run like two oh seven. So. I think Yuki's a better marathoner than CJ, but I don't know. I feel like there's just we haven't quite seen it yet, and we might see it on Sunday. That's why it's on Saturday. That's why I think he's an intriguing talent. I think the other one, Elkana Kabet, does has had some pretty impressive runs in the past. I know fourth New York well and you said in twenty twenty one was a weak field, but it's still fourth. He he's run pretty well in some majors in the past. And I think now he finally will have some time. You know, he's only 11th in New York last fall. But he finally had some time off from, you know, to actually focus on running as opposed to he was, you know, deployed overseas for some point in the last couple of years. So he's a guy I'm keeping my eye on as well. One thing about CJ, why would he have the race of his life when he's only been training for five weeks for it? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I know that he defies the norms, but to me, it's like stupid to run two marathons at the beginning of December. I, I probably should have asked him that, but I was trying to be nice because I love the story and I wish it was a hundred degrees. If this was Pittsburgh at night, 2000 weather conditions, he might make it. I would love to see that. This guy just says, yeah, I wanted it hot as hell. I trained for hot as hell and I got hot as hell and I'm just tougher than you. And I'm on the damn Olympic team. That would be cool. So it's weird. Like we always say there's no interceptions. There's no fumbles. There's no flute goals in running. And in, in some ways, it would be you know, a lot of runners to be unfair, but it'd also be kind of cool just to have some epic story of some badass just willing himself, you know, to the Olympic team. Look, we can't have a six-hour-long podcast. We need to move to the women. Women are easier because you've got one, two, three, four, five, six serious contenders, and to be honest, you've got thirteen fringe contenders. I don't even think we even need to do the French contenders. We I, will. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think we should mention a couple of them, but Robert, it's it's funny. I keep bringing this up because going into the 2020 trials, I had a list of five people. And I was confident the team would come from that five and none of them made it. Th- but this year again, I'm just going to say this on the record. I'm sorry. These six people we have in, in the serious contenders, if if the Olympic team isn't anyone who makes the team outside of those six is going to be a huge shock. These are the women who I have in our group. Kira D'Amato, Sarah Hall, Betsy Sina, Molly Seidel, Emily Sisson, Alephine Tulliamuk. If the Olympic, if anyone outside of that group makes the team, I think it's going to be a huge surprise. I did talk to Alistair Craig, who's the coach of Fiona O'Keefe. He's sold on her having a great run. He basically said, you know, if Amy Craig, his wife, who won the 2016 trials, bronze medalist at the 2017 Worlds. He's like, if she had a build-up like that, she'd be very confident going in. So maybe she has a shot. Deslin, like Natasha Rogers has the talent, but I don't think her build-up's gone all that amazing. Deslin is getting old. I know she'll, she's smart, and if it's really hot, maybe she could figure something out, but she's just been kind of off the pace the last couple of her marathons. I'm sorry, I, I think it's a big surprise if it's one of, if it's, not one of the six women I just named, D'Amato, Hall, Sinus, Seidel, Sisson, or Tulia Muck. Well, let's go through them real quickly and, and just, you know, give their 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 pros and cons. Kira D'Amato, former American record holder. I mean, that's the pro. <laughs> you know, she said that not too long ago. The con is she's 39. 
was retired from the sport and was a mother and realtor for 10 years, you know? So her second act in running was better than the first. I mean, back in the day she was competing right in NCAA cross with the likes of Molly huddle. And what was her best finish at American university, John? I off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but she was like top 20 or something. I think in the teens, maybe she, but the other thing, yeah, she set that American record in January, 2022, but since then, also last summer, she ran 66.39, set what was then an American record in the half marathon in Australia. She, 17th at Worlds in the marathon, but it seems like her build-up's gone pretty well. She's got an Instagram post tell, saying she's ready, so Robert sold on her. But yeah, she, she looks to be in a pretty good spot, even though she is 39. Sarah Hall's 40. You know, didn't run a fall marathon, withdrew from the Houston half, but said she's had a great, you know, five months of training, right? Yeah. I just think, I mean, Hall is really, she's similar to D'Amato in some ways because she, except she just didn't have the break. She's been continuously running, moving up from the 1500 at the trials all the way to the steeple 510. Now we're in the marathon. Found her, found her, found her event in the marathon. But I just, she's 40. I don't think her, I mean, she was a former London marathoner runner-up, but I'm writing her off because it's too hot. She's never done well in the heat. Mid-60s for her. You know, I I would rank her behind all of these, you know, your contenders anyways on their best day, wouldn't you? All of these others on their best day. I think you have to. Prob- probably. I mean, Women, second in other, London in 2020 maybe, is an amazing run. But the 2024 version of Sarah Hall? Yeah, probably. Anyways. Betsy Santa, we already talked about her on the podcast. 1439, 30.04. Just one in More Sydney. recently, 221 in Tokyo last year, then one Sydney in hot conditions in 226. Has been training with... You know, Jocelyn Jepkos guy who's a London and New York City marathon champion. Training's been going very well. So the, yeah, big talent who's it, no. run good marathons and has run well in the heat. My only concern is maybe she's overdone it. She's up the mileage. I forgot what it was some massive amount. Was it 140? And you know, if, if she bombed, I, I'm thinking she's gonna be better than ever, but maybe she overdid it. You know, we'll see. Molly Seidel, you know, Olympic bronze medalist. And her made the team last time in her debut, gets the bronze, and then kind of really struggled with eating disorders and whatnot. I was wondering if we if she was going to fade away like Jordan Say did, but no, resurgent eighth in Chicago, PB two twenty three oh seven. Haven't really heard a lot from her. You know, Weldon's trying to read her Instagram posts and see if there's some flowers that one of her sponsors gave her. What did it say in the note? So. I think we're going to try to reach out to our coach, John Green, but if she's healthy, obviously she's one of the best people in the world. Major contender. Emily Sisson, the current American record holder. Didn't do great at Chicago, though, John. Well, I told to our coach, Ray Tracy, about this. Like, She went into Chicago, lost full, was not trying to run an American record again, but wanted to have a good race out there, obviously. She ran 222.09. She was still the top American. But had a side stitch the last eight miles. And the way Ray Tracy framed it to me, I, I kind of agree. He's like, look, 
that was a good thing for her because she showed that going got tough. She had to deal with some adversity with that stitch. She still held it together well enough to get there. And sometimes you have to do that. I remember Shalane Flanagan, 2016 trials in LA. Her body was starting to shut down. Like it was really hot. She was really starting to feel it in the final miles. She pulled it together. She suffered through it and made it onto that team. And I think that's good for Sisson because if you look at some of her other races, a lot of them are sort of, she's got a male pacer. These are record attempt type stuff, whether it's the Houston half marathon or the Chicago marathon in 2022. Chicago 2023, she had to tough it out and grind it out. Sometimes you have to do that to make an Olympic team. She managed it. So I kind of agree with him. And he says, you know, her build up, he's happy with how it's gone. She's in good shape. Then the final one in this group is Alephine Tuliamuk, defending trials champion. But the concern with her is injury. She had a hamstring issue that took a lot longer than she wanted to recover from last fall. She ended up withdrawing from Chicago. When she's on her game, again, won the lost trials. And some would say, like, that's an underrated performance because she didn't really have the super shoes. She had a Hoka shoe that was putting her at a disadvantage, most likely, against some of the Nike shoes in that race. Still won the trials. She won the U.S. Half Marathon Championships last year, 69-37. But the the concern here is this injury. I, I talked to her coach, Jack Mullaney. She underwent a coaching change as well. She was with Ben Rosario. And then Jack Mullaney came in, hired as the NAZ elite coach, lost full. You know, he said it's been a collaborative effort working with some of these marathoners. But in terms of like Mullaney and Ben Rosario, Ben Bruce, some, uh, Jenna Reedon, who is already on the NAZ elite stuff, that, the whole coaching stuff. Anyway, I said, you know, how has the training gone? And it seemed like she's been back to running for a few months. Said it's she's had consistent mileage. It's been solid. But I don't know. I, this is the first time I'd ever spoken to Jack Mullaney, so maybe he's sort of naturally downplays things. But I didn't hear the sort of things that I usually hear from when athletes have had a great buildup. Like, oh yeah, her workouts have been great. Like, this is the old Alephine. She's back. This is his first buildup coaching her. But my concern is that this hamstring issue may have still bothered her in training and may have limited what she's able to do. And going up against some of these other top women... That, that really could be a problem. They basically, he said, this, this is what he told me. It's something you're going to be working with. It's been a process, but you know she can probably give you a better feel for how it is, so we'll talk to her, see how it's been. We've done our best to manage it the best we can and put her in the best position on the start line. So that, to me, says the hamstring could still be bothering her. Well, I'm not picking her after hearing that. Yeah, since Robert dropped her from his team, I was going to pick her up, but no more. Sticking with Fiona O'Keefe, who's in the next category here, but I mean, for me, so, now, these people, the big question mark is Molly. Is Molly side already? If her B game is there, she makes this team. I think. I think she's that good. So it's the the big question mark out there. Question mark I have is: Do we know how Sisson is in the heat? She's pretty good. Uh, if you guys remember the 2021 Olympic trials, 10 K that was in the heat. That was the one Alicia Munson had to go to the hospital afterwards. Emily Sisson just destroyed all comers in that race. Uh, obviously it's not a marathon. I'm not sure if she's 
run a super hot marathon, but Retracy doesn't think the heat will be a, a problem for her. I think she lives in Phoenix or something. So she okay. did much of this build up in Phoenix. Has been in Orlando the last month. It's interesting. I, I I think the team's definitely coming from there. And you know, originally I was saying I, I think if a French contender makes it, it's much more likely to happen from the men than the women. But I actually could see it happening from the women because you know we have six serious contenders. If four of them have an off day, someone opens up a spot for somebody else. And I could easily see, I'll make the case for off days. Kira D'Amato, almost 40. Sarah Hall is 40. Betsy Sina, overtrained in Kenya. Seidel, always hurt, eating disorder. Emily Sisson, uh, well, I was my only concern with her was how is she in the heat? Because I was really disappointed in her. Molly Huddle was dropping out in the hills last time and was wondering how tough she is. But I remember she's tough as hell. I think she's made for the marathon. I, look, to me, Sisson and Sane are my locks. And then Tully, my, I think she's injured. So I, I still think I'm feeling strong in Sane and Sisson, but this is a marathon. You know, Even if there's a 30% fail rate there, then maybe you have two other spots available or one. Certainly, you know. So let's go through the French contenders. Emily Durgan, 67-54 in Houston last year. Lindsay Flanagan, ninth at Worlds. Warren Hagens won grandmas in her debut, 225. Molly Huddle. I don't see that happening. 39 years old, 232 in New York City. In November, Des Linden, top four last time. Made the Olympics in the past. Boston Marathon winner. Nell Rojas, top American in Boston in 2021 and 22. Gabby Rooker, cool story. Come down from 256 to 224 in two years, but can she keep that improvement up? I mean, normally you slow down. I mean, I remember when I went, my first marathon I ran, 228 or 229, my friends thought I was going to run three hours. I remember telling John Kellogg, like, okay, I'll break 220 in the next marathon. He's like, you may never break 220. I'm like, dude, I've impro- like, if I ran it a year ago, I would run like 245. He said, yeah, that's not the way improvement works. He was right. Um, Susanna Sullivan, 10th in London, 224. Kellen Taylor, tough woman. Um, coming back from uh, pregnancy, right, John? 229. For eighth in New York, two twenty in this fall. Sarah Vaughn, two twenty three in Chicago. Dakota Lindworm, two twenty four in Chicago. Those are the established fringe contenders f- for the women. To me, I don't see any of those Wait, women making it. I, you I, missed two debutantes, though, Robert. Well, Did you that's skip why over those? I skipped over them on purpose. I, I think if someone's going to make the the team from this list, unless we just have like tons of bombs would be the two debutantes, both from the Puma group, Fiona O'Keefe and Natasha Rogers. Rogers has made the team on the track the last couple of years. She's moving up to the marathon. And, you know, you talked to coach Alistair Craig, he admitted it was kind of a, a, a choppy buildup. She didn't really adjust to the marathon that well. She's used to feeling fresh for her workouts and she needs to now understand she's supposed to be fatigued at the workouts, but he said the last, you know, six weeks have gone well. Um, and I love this quote being in a, deb- in a debut marathon, you almost don't know what to be afraid of. And this, that can be very valuable on race day, said Craig, but Fiona O'Keefe is really taken to the roads and the longer distances like a fish to water. And the quote that Alistair had about her was super impressive for me. 
If Amy had the buildup that Fiona just had, she'd be hugely confident coming into any race. She's going to have an honest, true shot at making the team. It's going to be very hard to get rid of her. Fiona is a natural born. It's going to be very hard to get rid of her. Fiona is a I mean, it doesn't, you know, if you want to pick a long shot and try to win, is a contest. It's a quote like that that sort of grabs your attention, right? I mean, this is starting to remind me a little bit of Molly Seidel, but Molly Decent at Stanford. I think they're up, but the talent is there and she might just show up and surprise people, you know, because she's good enough to do it. The O'Keefe, I don't, I think is a bit different, but could be similar to Seidel in that just she was made for this event. And, you know, you look at some of her results. The one that stood out to me that really caught my eye was when she debuted in Houston in the half marathon in 2022. She ran 67.42. That was the fastest women's debut ever by an American until Kaladi just ran 66.25 this year. Uh, Last year on the track, she ran 30.55 and then 30.52. That's quite quick. You don't see that many Americans dipping under 31 minutes. The... And then you look, the one thing is her half marathons recently haven't been that quick. In Philadelphia, she only ran 71.11 in September. And then Boston in November, she was 71, sorry, 70.45. And she finished a minute and a half behind Kira D'Amato in that race. So I did ask Alistair about those races. He's like, well, we weren't that concerned about them. The first one was just to get her a trial standard, really. She was just kind of starting training again. The Boston one, you know, it was kind of, it was cold. It's a hilly course. He wasn't overly concerned. I'm still, I mean, losing to D'Amato by 90 seconds, not a great sign, but I do think it's a kind of an interest. It's a weird part of her buildup. This was a race in the middle of November and you're building up for a trials race on February 3rd. So I'm pretty high on O'Keefe as well. I think she, of this fringe contender group, she's got one of the best chance to sort of make a splash. Uh, will it happen in her first marathon? TBD, but I, I've got my eye on her for sure. I mean, I picked her in our draft last week, but if I'm going to be critical, was I getting a little carried away with that half marathon in Houston? I mean, Houston's super fast because 18 seconds behind her, I think, or no, 12 seconds behind her was Emily Durgan. Like, we're not saying, oh my God, Emily Durgan's like a, oh, she has so much upside in this event. But, I mean, John, talking to Alistair, does he think I mean, we're, we're, we're like parsing sentences here. But did, did you get the impression he's more bullish on O'Keefe than Rogers? I mean, like... Yes. And then the other thing is sort of... It is, you know, how big... John, you're talking about how the, the last trials, your top three, none of them were were like on your list of five people, which is crazy to me. Like, Sally Kipiego... She had a medal on the track. Am I mistaken? Two medals on the track. Uh, in, in retrospect, I think I was a little scared off because some of her marathon results were limited. But yes, the talent level was obviously there. That might have been an oversight on my part. Seidel, NCAA champion. And, and you know, Alfie Tulemek was what? Maybe top 10 at World Junior Cross, something like that? They all had really big engines. So, 
Fiona's getting, you know, for a U.S. person, 15, close to 15 flat, 30, 50. Yeah, I think the upside is bigger than, say, Emily Durgan or somebody. You know, Lindsay Flanagan was ninth at the Worlds. That's better than CJ out than, uh, excuse me, Zach Panning last year. But it's on the women's side, which is, was isn't as deep. If you look the year before, you know, we had what three women in the top ten with, um, Sarah Hall, Kira D'Amato. Who am I missing, John? Emma Bates. Well, one person we haven't mentioned who I see in the top ten in the prediction contest is. Orlando's finest, Ginny Simpson, making her marathon debut. I don't know. I just have no expectations for it. Do you guys? I'm interested to see what she will do. I just, I f- really find it hard to cons- to think she'll make the team. She ran 70, 30 something to think she'll make the, her 10K road races weren't all that to indicate she would make this team, but. She is Jenny Simpson. She has four medals on the track. We have seen women move up from the 800 to become good marathoners on the world stage recently. So I don't think it's going to happen, but I want to see what she's capable. I'm curious to see how what she runs. Yeah, it's amazing. We've gone almost over an hour and a half without mentioning her name, but I'm not, I just don't think, I think it's like, I don't want to say a money thing, but I, I've just never thought she was going to be good on the roads. She's never shown any indication she's going to be good on the roads. And Michael Sandrock, author of Running with the Legends. God, I love that book. Back in high school and college. It's like just a compilation of best workouts ever from stars. I'm thinking of doing a similar book, College Coaches. But he wrote, he caught up with Mark Wetmore, her coach, an article for Boulder's Daily Camera. And these quotes weren't, to me, well, Wetmore's kind of understated, let's be honest, but I didn't jump out, oh, things are amazing. Here's the quote from Coach Wetmore. This is all new to Jenny. She was primarily a 15-meter runner in her track career, so this is a complete, this is complete, completely different. I can think of no single workout that is instructive, but I have been impressed with her complete willingness to switch gears in her thinking to marathon volumes, long runs, types of workouts, zero hesitation. She's going to only race the distance, only half the distance, so we can only attempt objective speculation. I would imagine she can be in the top 10 if nothing goes wrong. And there's a big difference between top 10, it's like NCAA cross, 10th is pretty far away from first and normally third. So, John, flashing back four years, who are the women that you were certain were going to be on the team that didn't make it? Well, Sisson yeah. and Huddle. Sisson and Huddle. Jordan Hesse, who only a year earlier had run very well in Boston. Like, that wasn't a crazy thing at the time. Sarah Hall and Des Linden, who was fourth in, in the trials. We listed, we had a, a group of underdogs that included Kip Yego and Tulia Muck. I'm looking to see if Molly Seidel's name was mentioned at all in this article best of the rest here is our quote it would be a humongous upset if any of these women made the team but i'll mention them here just in case and i mean the only thing we she ran 69 35 at the houston half and was debuting in atlanta there was very little to indicate molly seidel was going to be an olympic bronze medalist in the marathon but we did at least get her name in there 
As for O'Keefe, it's concerning to me that her PRs, at least in the half, are slower than mine. Now, I wasn't made for the marathon. But I think I would have struggled to break 220. All right. That's enough talk, I think, for the marathon for now. Come back on Friday. Weldon and John will be at the press conference. We'll get to be able to talk to the few people that we haven't talked to or read about. So we'll have a scoop on everybody. We'll be making our official top three picks. Those will be separate than our Maybe I shouldn't reveal them because then I'm not going to win the prediction contest. But I don't know. Maybe we'll do a live show. I think that makes sense, a live show, because the press conference is like Friday, about 24 hours before the race. It's going to have a limited window. So, And Robert, me, William Weldon will be in Orlando at that point. So, yeah, let's let's plan on that. So what time is the press conference? 10 a.m. It's so, actually at 11 a.m. I we'll should. have a specific time, but plan for somewhere around 1 p.m. Eastern time on Friday for that live Friday 15. Of course, you can get it as a podcast if you join the Let's Run Supporters Club, letsrun.com slash subscribe. Speaking of Supporters Club, on Friday's show, we went live Friday night and talked extensively about the Boston University's John Terrier Classic where the big news was the men's 5,000 meters kind of was a little bit lame in the sense of we were debating like early in the week could the world record fall. Then we just, then we heard that the people just wanted to get the standard and there was no A heat and B heat. There was two kind of A heats. You kind of had the OAC athletes in one heat and then the Mike Smith athletes in the other heat, right? or the Flagstaff athletes in the other heat kind of is the way I would describe right. it. And, you know, a lot of guys picked up, 11 people picked up the Olympic standard of 1305 in the two heats. Edwin Kerr got one heat, first heat, 1257-52. Adrian Wilshcott, 1256-76. was the second heat. To me, that was huge for Hoka NAZ elite coach. I mean, again, this guy was such a no-name, and now he's my inspiration. University of Portland. And now he's my inspiration. Shows you that there's a lot of people, if they get the opportunity, can coach a damn. Shows you that there's a lot of people. Adrian Wilchcott, major record. Good job, because mile in altitude. And then the guy that he beat by almost six seconds in that race run 353 in the mile a few hours before the 5,000. So you're like, okay, Nico probably is in 349 shape. You know, and he was just magnificent. First collegiate under 13 minutes. Big, big, big race. So congrats to all of them, but let's be honest. I mean, I've been, before I knew Young was running this race and thought the collegiate record might go down, and it did, by the way, what a great foresight I had. Remember, on Monday, I published the week that was and said that it might go down, and it did. Before that, I mean, probably over a month earlier, when I found out Yair Nagus was running this race, I was very excited. I'm like, what can he do? And I think in the end, the three of us kind of both predicted something right over 13 minutes, 13.02. That's what he ran, 13.02.09. But that's not what I ever would have predicted, by the way. I don't think I made a record. I would have predicted like mid-1250s. I was very high on his potential. And I think that Nagus was thinking something the same. I mean, there's quote, we, we, you did an interview with him and there was talk about running low 1250s. So, and, you know, Nagus wasn't the only OAC guy 
that I think disappointed from what most people were expecting. You know, Joe Klecker doesn't even get the standard 1306. Now, Morgan McDonald did run 1307. That's pretty good for him. He's been injured. Mario Garcia Romo was terrible, barely broke 14, 1357. Jonas Rice. Um, Jordy Beamish did run well. You got to give him credit. He got the Olympic standard PB 1304. So, yeah, they had some hits and some misses. Nagus, I would say, is. I mean, 13.02, you can't say that's a disaster. But Say Turtle Clucker got destroyed in the women's 3,000 by almost 20 seconds. Joe said Andrews, I mean, she got the standard 14.46, but I guess, I don't know. I mean, she lost to a Spaniard I'd never heard of, and then three Ethiopians. All I know is, you know, and don't accuse me of being jealousy, John. John's always saying I don't like coaches younger than me. I just I just praise the Hoke NAZ guy who's younger than me. But there's a thread on Let's Run. I swear to God I did not start this. Coaches younger than right armchair coaches. Let's hear it. Is OAC done? Will you underperform tonight? To be honest, were- though. Seems like a hallmark, Rojo. No one cares what shape you are in the end of January, as long as you're healthy and building. It's fine for Nagus. He actually told you, John, afterwards, he thinks he's slightly ahead of where he was last year. We'll find out in Melrose in a mile. Yeah, I'm not writing anyone off after a race at BU, which is basically a glorified time trial meet. Obviously, you can show that you're in good shape, or, you know, Joe Klecker, I think, 1306. I mean, missing, taking a shot at the standard and missing it, that hurts to miss it by a second, but. I talked to Ritz and Hein afterwards. He said he thinks they're about four weeks behind where they were, most of the guys, about four weeks behind training-wise when they ran this, compared to when they ran this meet last year. He's not worried about it. Uh, thinks they'll be ready to go at Milrose. I don't, I don't think, yeah, some of the guys, obviously Mario Garcia Romo had an awful race, but maybe he's just, this guy's a 1500 runner. He's not a 5K runner. Uh Klecker, 13.06, it's not what he wanted. It's not a disaster. You know, you just got to get back, do some more work. So what's the Nick Sirianni comparison you have here, Robert? You want to make some analogy to the Eagles coach? But also, what are the horrible performances? I said beforehand that Nagus wouldn't break 13 minutes. He didn't break 13 minutes. So Klecker ran poorly relative to him. Jordy Beamish actually did better than we expected. So maybe I'm just like to be a contrarian no matter what the situation, but no, the horrible performances were Jonas Race ran 13.32, Mario Garcia-Romo ran 13.57, and then you would say Klecker failed his objective. 13.06 is not a horrible performance. He didn't get the standard. Jonas Race? Is he even in the group? Who is this guy? Or is he in OAC Europe? No, he's in the OAC group. He's Swiss. Is he new? I think he's been with them for a year or two, but he's run 13.07. So he he was going for the standard here, and he didn't come close. There's an interesting post on the message board from supporters club member Peach Pit, and he's got an interesting thing. Like there's this thread just harping on OAC. But hey, when you have a great year, like an amazing year, like they had last year, people are going to nitpick. It's the same thing with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what I'm going to say. They were amazing last year. They made the Super Bowl. They should have really. They outplayed Kansas City. Should have won the Super Bowl. This year they're kind of getting by and fume. Somehow are 10-1, then they just implode. 
I don't expect that in running because running is a talent-based thing. And, you know, it's hard to, to, to um, have everybody go off at the same time. But this post by Peach Pit is like, well, no one's talking about Mike Smith. They actually, both groups, were in two different heats, kind of had similar nights. For, for OAC, Clucker and Jonas had bad nights. Beamish and McDonald had really good nights. Here was good, but not mind-blowing. Mario was really bad. On the Coffee Club podcast, Ollie Horace said his college coach, I think, told him that about the one-third rule, which is that one-third of the athletes will always have a great race, one-third will have an okay race, and one-third will have a bad race. OAC followed that rule to a T for whatever that's worth. Compare that to Mike Smith athletes. Nico obviously had the race of the night. Abdi Noor, right? He missed the standard, right, John? No, he got the standard. Really got Abdi Noor is basically like what Nagus. He he did his job. He got the standard. Not an amazing yeah. run, but thirteen oh three PB. Yeah, Noor had an okay race. He qualified. Wasn't contending for the win. Kincaid ran thirteen fifty, which is pretty awful. But he also had th- two college kids run thirteen sixteen in the open heat. I remember when Tyler Day ran the NCAA record of thirteen sixteen. And yesterday, Mike Smith had three kids run faster than that on the college team. And Colin Solomon ran, also won the mile in 353, which might have been the second best race of the night. So if you limit to just the 5Ks, Mike Smith had one great race, one okay race, one bad race. That also follows the one-third rule. Weird. So cool post, Peach Pit. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's too much to read anyway. This I'm actually concerned about Nico Young, the fact that he said he hasn't been running to you, John. He's got a knee injury. I'm amazed that he's been able to to run these well these last two races. If he's not healthy, he will not be a factor at the trials. And he needs to be healthy to run a 10,000, which may be, you know, if he gets the standard there, he, that's a good way, you know, to make the Olympic team. I know you got to get out of here, John, because you got an interview with Elephine Tulemuk. Defending trials champion, Elephine Tulemuk. Yeah, the one thing I'd say about Nico Young is, I'm sure Mike Smith knows this as well, but look, he got his great performance. Yeah, like 1257, that's amazing. Now the thing, make sure he's healthy ahead of NCAAs, make sure he's healthy ahead of the outdoor season. He doesn't need to go. 57 at the double eights, like health or crazy times or anything until NC. And speaking of health, well, year Nagus's performance was huh, pretty good. I mean, okay. A little disappointing to be honest, but about what I expected to be honest. His chief rival, well, apology, Jake Whiteman and Josh Kerr. Jakob Ingebrigtsen is injured right now. In the fall, we heard it was a sacrum. Then we've heard it's an Achilles. And the there's an article up in the Norwegian press. Someone found it. They linked to it on the message board. They translated it or had a machine translated. I'm sure you guys have read it. It was kind of concerning to me, and there's a big discussion about it. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. I mean, I had Achilles surgery. Once it came on with me, I, I just never got better until I had to have surgery. Now when I hear about Achilles injury, I just have the surgery now. Obviously, you're not going to have the surgery today. But to me, if if Jakob misses the Olympics or is not well, you know, cannot really train at a high level, to me, I would have the Olympics the day after. I'd have the surgery a week after the Olympics. Like, I don't want this to derail his career. And it just made me nervous because the discussion on the message board was like, look at his brothers. They were great. And then they've really kind of not been great. They've been okay, but they've been, been struggling with injuries. Is this going to repeat here? Now, I thought the whole thing with Jakob is, A, he's probably more talented than them, but B, the brothers were the guinea pigs, and they figured out like what people could handle, how to properly train. It's all been figured out by now. But it is concerning you know, with Achilles, and I think he's right. He said, I'm trying to trust the physio people, but you have to do a little bit of it to keep the blood flow up. 
But if you do too much, it, it can get inflamed and if you, you can't just sit and do nothing. So I feel like he's trying to manage it in the right fashion, but how worried on a scale of zero to 10 are you guys? I'd say I'm around a three. Um, I think it depends. If he, I mean, he's already missed two altitude camps in the Sierra Nevada, and he's already withdrawn preemptively from World Indoors. The reason I'm only a three is it's January. If I'm still hearing this two months later that he's still dealing with the Achilles stuff, that's when you start to get worried. Because I think back, like Matthew Centrowitz, he would miss time early in the year, but if he could string enough training together, he's talented enough to still perform at the championships in the middle of August. We're still five months out, but the quote from the story was, he has barely run in the last four months. That's not good. Jakob's all about building this base up, right? About logging all these workouts, runs more mileage than pretty much any elite 1500 runner. If he's not doing that, his advantage is waning. So, he, like his strategy is generally run people run away from people in the finals, and he it usually gets him at least second because he's stronger than everyone else. But if you're missing all this training, suddenly you're not stronger than everyone else. So, yeah, it's concerned. Maybe I'd bump that up to a four. But he also, do you think he'd be inviting Norwegian media into his home to chronicle this recovery if he wasn't thinking he could turn things around? Like. He's still talking about opening up at the pre-classic and racing a bunch this spring. But yeah, it's it's creeping up in the concern meter. I'm at a six. I hope... Hey. They should get on the phone and call Kate, uh, not Caitlin, to uh, Parker Volby. Let her fly out there, give him advice on how to cross train. So it, it is concerning to me. And... Speaking of Matthew Sensowitz, I said on this very podcast almost two months ago, after he ran 403 in the road mile of Hawaii, I hated to say it, but stick a fork in him and he's done. I've got further confirmation of this. Did you guys see this? He ran in Washington. Now, he first of all, he ran in the B heat at Washington, and he ran 359 in the mile. He's finishing sixth in the B heat of the mile. Can you, we just confirm now it's done? Like I hate to say it. It makes me sick in my pit of my stomach. I know he's a big talent, John, but he's not making the Olympic team. What do you mean confirm he's done? He's four seconds faster than he was in the road mile in Honolulu. And you've forgotten everything we've seen. How many times has Centro had just these god-awful openers and then he's suddenly able to bring it up? He's in contention. Like last year, do you remember? He went down, he ran a 4.06 mile on February 23rd in Melbourne and ended up running 3.36 and making the US final. So he's actually well ahead of where he was at this point last year, 2021, he made the Olympic team. He ran 340 for 1500. That's basically a 359 mile on March 6th. But, and then he ended up finishing second at the trials, almost beating Cole Hawker and running a 349 mile that year. This is not a guy who needs a long time to get in shape. Problem is he's 34. He's not 24, but I'm not writing him off of what he, this is an annual tradition that he runs a, bad mile race in the winter at this point. Well, those stats make me feel a little bit better, but this isn't, he's four years older. That's what I would just say. Or I guess three years older only. And while Inga Britson is struggling, it's worth noting two of his, well, people are going to get mad if I call one of these guys his biggest rivals. But if there's one pro that I could coach 
think I can make a difference with is this guy, Samuel Tafera. Guy won world indoors. He's actually won two world, world indoors in the 1500. Beat Jakob last time, John. He opened up his season at the Astana meet, Kazakhstan, the first world indoor gold meet of the year, 733.80. PB and world leader. You know, he's actually the world former world indoor record holder in the 1500. I don't know how he's so bad at the outdoor 1500. I just think Ethiopian coaches are not used to coaching that event. Move to America. I will coach. Hell, I'll coach you remotely, buddy. If you gave me one pro rock reclamation project, it would be him. Because if his age is to believe, he's won two world indoors, but he's still only like 24. Is that right? World indoor year to Farah is like Olympic year McCluffy. It's like these, they just pop out. Oh, this guy's fit again. Must be a world indoor year. Like he won the last two titles. And now. I don't remember him doing anything last year, but no, it's a world indoor year again. And guess who's in shape? Samuel Tafera. So that's who Yard Nagoose has to be concerned about. World indoors is Samuel Tafera. Yeah, he won in 2018 when he was supposedly 19 years old. 2022 as well. John, he's also pretty good in 2019. That's when he ran the 331.04 then world record. And the other guy that ran well last week, having trouble rendering his name, despite his accomplishments, Tier. See what he did, John? It was a quick, what distance did he race? I, I saw he just ran a, a fast time. I don't remember what it was. Meet in France, 351.91 world lead in the mile. But he more impressive than that was he won by like 2.6 seconds. So they're doing well. Jakob's mm, nervous. I love the 1500. Can't wait. All right, guys. John's got to go. So I think we should go too. Um, join the supporters club today. Look at the bonus Friday show. If not, catch it live. All right, everybody. Betterrunningshoes.com. Betterrunningshoes.com. Stay Never. tuned to the message board or the homepage, Twitter, for the Let's Run Trials meetup. It'll be on Friday night in Orlando. Weldon and I will be there. Maybe Robert, if we're hanging out really late, but he's probably not going to get there in time. And grab a beer. We'll celebrate running, talk about stuff on the podcast. It'll be a lot of fun. Enter the prediction contest. We now have a sponsor, guys. During the show, I picked up a sponsor. Sponsored by Relay. It's a place you can get 99% new running shoes. I got them shipped to me the other day. They're amazing. Just like, you know, like somehow they get returned to the manufacturer or something or the box is wrong or something. I was sent some Brooks Ghost. They look amazing. But in those prediction contests today. And Sporters Club, because you're going to get the, you want to hear from Emily Sisson as well. See you guys Friday.